Our text will be found in the verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us seek the Lord for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Word of God as we think upon your Word. Think upon the simplicity of the Gospel, and we will know your assistance. The Spirit of God would teach us and instruct us, and we pray that you would speak and challenge hearts. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen and amen. This is Reformation Sunday, and one of the, 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 the themes of the Reformation was this Latin phrase, sola fide, faith alone. And th- there were other themes as well. The, the Scriptures alone, sola scriptura, solus Christus, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, sola gratia, grace alone. But we're going to think of, of faith saving faith. And it was one of the important messages that arose from the Protestant Reformation. It's astonishing for us, sitting here in a 21st century evangelical church, where we preach continually faith alone. It's your faith that saves, faith alone. We, we preach this continually. It's something we constantly emphasize. And it's difficult for us to comprehend just how revolutionary this message was, how transforming it was, and how it changed society, and how it engendered such anger and criticism and cruelty from the religious authorities who could not abide such a message. It was a message that was revolutionary in the extreme, faith alone. And yet it's such a simple message, such a clear message. As I say, it's because we have been blessed with this message. Many of us, perhaps all of us, have had this message brought to us from we were children. We can't remember a time when we we didn't know this word. And for us to think of a society that never had it, never experienced it, whenever the message was preached, it seemed something so new, so different, but so blessed at the same time. And yet there were those that despised it. But we only think like that because we have been peculiarly blessed. But then you go to people, even in our own society, that have not been exposed to the simplicity of the gospel, and they struggle with this very thing. Faith alone. Are you saying if if I put my faith alone, my trust alone, that That will save me. And I've had this conversation with people. They just can't grasp it. Surely there must be something else. Something else for me to do. No, nothing else. Faith alone. And the natural heart of man has a tendency to recoil at this message, to despise this message, cannot comprehend this message. How is it that faith saves Saving faith. And so this is what I want us to think about tonight. Saving faith. The faith that saves. And Paul articulates it so clearly here in verse 21 of this chapter. 
And here he is talking to the elders at Ephesus for the last time. And Ephesus was the one church that Paul stayed in just a little longer than the rest. He stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. That was a reasonably lengthy sojourn for Paul, but three years was a pretty long sojourn because Paul was a church planter. He was a missionary. And he went into a community and he established a church and he ordained the elders and he moved on somewhere else. Sometimes he sent Timothy, he sent Titus back to some of these other churches to help them out, but he was constantly in the move. It was an itinerant ministry. But in Ephesus, he was there for three years. And so he became like a pastor to these people, if we use the modern terminology. And here he was meeting up with them for the last time, for he was passing nearby Ephesus, and he hadn't time to go to the city. And so he summons the elders of the church to come and meet him. And he had things to say to them. He had a charge to bring them. He had warnings to bring them, but he also reflected upon his ministry among them. And he talked about how he served the Lord with humility of mind, with tears, despite the temptations, despite the trials. He talked about how he taught them publicly, but he also went from house to house, bringing them God's Word. And then he talked about the content of the message. What was it that lay at the very heart of the message that he continually brought with tears during these three years of ministry? He testified both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith lies at the heart of it, but repentance is included within the scope of faith in Paul's thinking and in gospel terminology. And so we'll cover that tonight as well, whenever we think of the faith that saves. But before we move into the content, and I alluded to this in the opening prayer, just notice how he says this, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Now, Ephesus was a Gentile city. It was a place that was very prosperous, and it was a place where there was a lot of business, a lot of commerce, lots of people traveling through. A very important city in this part of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And there were Jews in this place, and also Greeks. And he spoke, first of all, to the Jew. Should we have an interest in the Jew? Yes, we should. Because Paul constantly, even though the Jews turned away from the message, even though they persecuted him, he always took time to bring them God's word. He had a burden for them, a passion for them. And the gospel was to be presented first to the Jew and also to the Greek. And God still has an interest in his ancient people. And although they are in darkness, and there's a veil, as Paul said, somewhere else upon their mind, yet one day they will see Christ. And we have to pray for that. But this message he brought to all people, Jews and Greeks, it was a message of repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message that all of us need. It's a message that all of humanity needs. It's a message that every person and every level of society needs. And free Presbyterians need this message as well as Presbyterians and Church of Ireland and Roman Catholics and all the rest. We all need repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And this message is every bit as relevant today as it was during the days of the Reformation. And we need to catch a vision of the, the importance of this message, how vital it is, 
Because without this message, there cannot be salvation. Can't exist without this faith that saves. And so let us think about this faith that saves. So in the first place, it's repentant faith. Because these two things go hand in hand. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. C.H. Spurgeon, he referred to a, a Puritan author that he had read. I've never read this author. His name was Mr. Dodd. And Mr. Spurgeon said that Mr. Dodd had a nickname. His nickname was Mr. Faith and Repentance because that seemingly was all he preached on. So whenever he came into the pulpit, the people would say, there he is again, Mr. Faith and Repentance. It was a message that he continually labored. And of course, it is a message that we must continually labor because these two aspects, faith and repentance, they form part of the great work of conversion. A soul cannot be converted without faith and repentance. Philip Henry was a pastor. His son was more famous. His son was Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator. And Matthew Henry himself became a pastor and also a writer, a very famous writer that we continue to benefit from today. But Philip Henry said, if I die in the pulpit, I desire to die preaching repentance and faith. But if I die out of the pulpit, I desire to die practicing repentance and faith. See, it's not just a message we preach, it's a message we practice. It's a message we live out. Unless we learn to live it out, well, that's a sign that it has never really captured our heart. We need to be a people every day. We're conscious of our sin, aware of our sin, turning away from our sin, praying, God, forgive me my sin, constantly resting upon Christ, living out faith and repentance. And these two things, as I have said, are absolutely essential to salvation, and there is a link with the two. And Mr. Spurgeon said again, repentance is the door that shuts out sin, but faith is the door upon which the hinges are fastened. Faith is the, the door frame upon, the, upon which the hinges are fastened. And, and there's a lot of truth in that. Because a door is of no value without a door frame upon which it hangs. And faith is the door that keeps out, uh, repentance is the door that keeps out sin. Uh, when we repent, we have a hatred for sin and aversion for sin. Because repentance is turning our back on sin. Repentance is is hating our sin. I'm having done with my sin. I'm turning from my sin. That's repentance. But repentance is no good without faith. Repentance on its own, it's not true repentance. It's not part of the faith that saves. Repentance must be always based upon our faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if we are to have faith, it must be repentant faith. It's a faith that takes us away from our sin. This idea that you can have faith and you can have a Christian label and, and yet you're holding on to your sin. That's not true salvation. That's not faith. Repentance and faith go hand in glove. There is a form of repentance which is not mixed with faith, and that is false repentance. And what is false repentance? And many people experience it. False repentance is repentance that is solely based upon a sense of shame, 
someone has done something they ought not to have done, and, uh, and they're ashamed of it. They're ashamed. But that doesn't make a person a Christian. That sense of shame doesn't make a person a Christian. There are other people, and they have a form of repentance because they have suffered the consequences for their sin. Their sin has hurt them. It has hurt others. And so they have an aversion to that sin, but, but it's only because of how themselves or how others have been affected by it. I suppose an example could be someone who has had some kind of alcohol addiction, and they, they have suffered the consequences of that, and so they go and get dried out, and they no longer determine to go back to the alcohol again. But that's not repentance. That's not salvation. Very good to see someone giving up such a lifestyle, but that doesn't necessarily save if it is not mixed with true faith. Some people have a form of repentance that is solely based upon a fear of hell. Terrified of hell. Terrified of their soul being lost and damned and doomed forever. And it's good to be afraid of hell. And a fear of hell can be a means that God uses to bring a sinner to himself. But a fear of hell in and of itself will not save the soul will not save the soul. Just because someone is terrified of the terrors of the damned, and let's face it, a preacher with very good vocabulary can describe hell in such graphic terms that even the very saints of God go out in terror. But that doesn't necessarily save the soul. There must be faith in Christ as well. There must be something more positive. Some people have a form of repentance that's based upon the guilt of a misspent life. They look back over their years and think of the things they've done wrong, think of the things they could have done better, think of what they've lost out because of what they can't undo. And, and so they have this remorse is a word we could use, but that's not salvation. And then there are others, their repentance is only partial. They, they partially repent of some sin. There's particular sins that they've committed and enjoyed, and now they do them no longer. Maybe it's just because they've become old and they can no longer enjoy them, whatever it is. But there's still sins they're holding on to. But, but that's not repentance mixed with faith, for the repentance that's mixed with faith is total, it's entire, it's complete. Repentance of all sin. You don't want to hold on to something. You see, God must have all of us or none of us. So this repentant faith, it's, it's turning from sin. But we must be careful about the false forms of repentance. Some people, I fear, are leaning upon some false form of repentance. That's what they're depending on. But it's not true faith, not true faith in Christ. You see, we are told what this repentance mixed with faith looks like. It's repentance toward God. Do you see that in verse 21? Repentance toward God. Paul makes that very clear because the other religions, they had repentance, and the Jews had repentance. They all had their forms of repentance. But this is repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is repentance toward God? Repentance toward God is being truly sorry for our sin not just because our sin has hurt others. Not just because our sin has hurt ourselves. Not just because we feel ashamed of our sin. We can feel all of that. 
But repentance toward God is turning from our sin because our sin has offended a holy God. That's the point. It's the fact that God sees our sin, that God sees our hearts, that one day we'll stand before God. And it's not just because we're afraid of dropping into hell. Because ultimately, the sinner that comes to God knows that I deserve hell. I deserve to be there. But it's knowing that we have offended a God who loves us, who loves us so much that he would send his son to that cross to die for us. So it's coming to a God who loves us, and yet we've offended him. And we are his creatures, and yet we have willfully chosen to break his law. And so this is repentance toward God. A great example is the prodigal son. The prodigal son took his father's money, went into the far country, and just spent it on his own perverse pleasures. Then he had nothing. His friends abandoned him, and there was famine, and he ended up feeding the pigs and eating their food. And then lying there in that filth and in that mire, he came to himself. He had sinned against his father. But yet, he had that awareness that Father will bring me in. It's the only hope I have. There's no hope here in this place. No hope amongst these pigs. No hope with my former friends. Look what they've done on me. There's only one that can give me help, and that's my father. And yet he knew he had wronged his father. And when he came to his father, he didn't come with a sense of pride. Oh, I'm back. Aren't you glad to see me now? He came and he said, I don't deserve to be your son. Just make me one of your servants. I'll work for you in your house. I just want to be here with you because I've done wrong. And that's true repentance. That's true humility of heart. We need to come to God, turning from our sin, knowing that he will bring us in. Repentance toward God. But let's move on and think about this word dependent. It's not only repentant faith, but it's dependent faith. Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There's repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is a dependency. Whenever we put our faith in Christ, we are absolutely and completely dependent upon him. We talk about resting upon Christ alone for salvation. It's a Reformation Sunday, and it's good perhaps to remind ourselves of, of Martin Luther and what he had to say about this great text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and the verse 21. Luther, you know, talked about the great transaction. For he hath made him, God hath made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we've been talking about sin, talking about how we're sinners, how we need to turn from that sin. And yet here we see Jesus Christ who knew no sin. 
yet God made him to be sin for us. And that's something that none of us can really comprehend. How could it be that he could be sin for us? It wasn't his own sin. He didn't become immoral or anything like that. But he took the guilt of our sin. He became the scapegoat. And I love that Old Testament image that has come to us into the English language to identify a person who takes the blame for someone else, the scapegoat. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate scapegoat. For on the great day of atonement, the high priest would put his hand upon the head of one of the, the goats, and he would confess all of the sins of all of the people, and that sin was transferred to the head of the goat, and then the goat would carry the sins of the people out into the wilderness, and the goat would die and be torn apart by wild beasts, or would die of thirst and hunger out there in the wilderness. It would never return, it would never come back, it had to be led to a place where it could not return from, because the sins of the people were carried far, far away upon the head of that goat. And Jesus Christ was the ultimate scapegoat. The scapegoat ritual had to be practiced the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that, until Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, because he did it all. He carried our sins far away. He took the wrath of God for all of our sins. And Luther said, this is the great transaction. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He took our sins. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took our sins that we might have his righteousness. That's the transaction. Our sins were transferred to him in order that his righteousness might be transferred to us. And that's the only way by which we can be right with God. That's the only way by which we can be prepared for heaven. That's the only way by which we can have access into God's family. That's the only way by which we can be prepared for the great day of judgment and for that moment when we will meet with death. It is this work that was done on the cross where Jesus Christ took our sin that we might have his righteousness. And therefore, saving faith is an absolute and complete dependency upon the Son of God. We rest upon Him for salvation. We cannot work our way to heaven because once there's sin, there's sin. You'll never do away with it. Even if you commit one sin and never commit any other sins for the rest of your life, you're still guilty of sin for there's one sin there. We're all sinners. And we do it every day. And we do it without thinking. It's part of our nature. There's only one way by which we can be saved, and that's through the man that died for us in Calvary. And so faith is turning from sin, yes, but it's completely dependent upon Jesus Christ who took our sin upon his own body that we might have his righteousness. It's exclusive faith. Faith toward, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ is exclusive because there's no other way. It excludes all else. It's not faith plus our works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith. We either have faith in Christ or we don't. It's not faith plus our prayers or faith plus our Bible readings. We're not worthy because of anything within us. Whenever we as Christians come to partake of the Lord's table, 
Whenever we partake of the sacrament, how are we worthy? Are we worthy because of something within us, because of some kind of godliness or holiness within us? No, no, that doesn't make us worthy. We're worthy because of Jesus, because of His righteousness, because of what He has done for us. And there's nothing else. There's nothing else. It's exclusive faith. Christ alone is the answer for the soul. If you're here tonight and if you're not saved, it must be Christ alone. But He is able to save you. It's converting faith. There is another passage over in the book of Acts 26, something else which Paul said. Paul was relating his testimony here in Acts 26, verses 17 and 18, talking about how God called him to be a witness, particularly to the Gentiles. What was the purpose for which he was called? We look at verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You see, faith converts. Faith converts. And when something is converted, it is changed, it is transformed. And the transformation has to be radical or it wouldn't be conversion. Conversion is a radical thing. It transforms. And Paul was given a message to preach, a message that would involve the opening of the eyes that were blind, a message that would involve turning people from darkness to light. The difference between blindness and seeing, that's radical, that's transformative. The difference between darkness and light, there's such a distinction there. The difference between the power of Satan and God. And if you're here tonight and if you're unsaved, you're the one that's blind. And if you don't get this message that you need to be converted, oh, how blind you are, and we're praying that God would open those eyes. If you're here tonight unsaved, you're in darkness. The darkness of the heart, the darkness of the mind. If you're unsaved, you're under the very power of Satan himself. Because we're told the devil is the God of this world, and he, he blinds the minds of them that believe not. Blinds the minds. When you need to realize that that's the position you're in. And there's nothing you can do that can change that. You can't make yourself see. You can't remove yourself from the power of Satan. None of us could. If it was up to me to save my soul or to do something that would bring me to salvation, I would be lost. I would have nothing to preach because I wouldn't be a converted soul myself. It's only the grace of God that can do this. Utterly and totally dependent upon God, who alone can convert the soul, who alone can give you a new life, because whenever you're converted, you have a new life because you have a new heart. Paul said in verse 18 of Acts 26, the person whose eyes are opened, the person that is turned from darkness to light, the person that is transformed from the power of Satan to God, that person is forgiven. And you need to be forgiven. God will forgive you. Forgiveness is something we really struggle with in this world. It's a big subject, a vast subject. 
But to think that God stoops down to forgive us and we have turned away from his son. And you have sat in gospel meetings and you have turned away from Jesus Christ. But he still loves you and he gives you opportunity to repent. And he can still forgive you. How gracious he is. And he can give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified by faith. Give you an inheritance in glory. This is what the Lord can do for you. And this is what he will do for those that have faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, this is assured faith. One of the, the great truths that the reformers taught was that we can be sure. We can be sure of eternal life. We can be sure that we're in the kingdom of heaven. We can know that we are the children of God. It's such an important thing. In the book of Luke chapter 5, and in the verse 20, the Lord, he spoke to this man that had been taken with a palsy, and yet the Lord had healed him. And the Lord said to him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Not partially forgiven, completely forgiven. It was a word from Christ himself to this dear man's soul. Your body hasn't just been healed but your actual sins are forgiven. And that's assurance. The Bible teaches assurance. And assurance isn't based upon anything that we feel at a given point in time. Assurance is completely and absolutely based upon what Jesus says. Him that cometh to me, I will never cast out. So can you leave this building tonight? Sure. Convert it. Repentant. Having put your faith in Christ alone, yes, you can. Because of the power of the gospel, I encourage you to come to Jesus Christ. Discover new life in Him. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Write it upon every heart. For those that do not know you, we pray your work would come, Word would come to them. That they would embrace and trust the Lord tonight as their one and only Savior. We pray you'll bless the meeting in Cookstown. We pray for everyone here. Take each one home in safety. Bless the singing of this closing hymn for Christ's sake. Amen and amen. Um, I, I'm going to go on now, but our brother Neville's going to lead you with this great hymn in closing, just as I am. Thank you very much. Thank you.